Welcome to the Mobile DJ Business Podcast with Rob Peters. It's about bringing in guests and sharing experiences and information to help you create a better DJ business for you, your clients, and your community. And now, here's your host, the only podcast host that has a degree in nuclear physics, Rob Peters. Hey everybody, welcome back from our Thanksgiving hiatus. I hope you and your family enjoyed Thanksgiving. We let that episode stay out there for a little while longer before we put some new content up because in my opinion, Thanksgiving week is one of those weeks where Thursday and Friday kind of get chipped. We ran our Black Friday specials. Those went over pretty good. Our photo booth stuff really did well. And now we're in the holiday party season. Last week we did 23 at RPE and it was everything from after school programs to corporate holiday to game shows. Trivia nights, Santa Claus appearances, DJs. It was everything last week, and it was a lot of fun. And I had a couple of unique experiences. One of them was kind of bad. I got food poisoning on Boston Common. I'd been selected to DJ in between a television broadcast. So whenever they went on commercial, they wanted me to play music for the crowd. I went to a street vendor to get some food before the show started. I completely missed lunch that day, and I wound up getting food poisoning. And it kind of put a damper on that event last Thursday, and the show goes on. And I wound up going and doing my show with a little bit of help on Friday. And Saturday, I felt like a million bucks, and today I'm back into the swing of things. And my Saturday event kind of leads to some new content that we're going to be coming out with, and I'll kind of explain that to you. I was at a venue that I do a lot of work with. I was there doing an electrical firm. So it was a lot of blue collar guys. They're not going to dance. Their spouses don't dance. They were more of a, we're going to sit back and drink and let's do something to be entertained in between. Last year, we had a lot of success with our tablet trivia and our music bingo programs. And this year, the client said they wanted to do the music bingo again, which was pretty cool. And in the middle of this, the Mater D walks in and she walks over to the lights. Now, there's nobody on the dance floor. So picture this. We're in a ballroom and I'm running music bingo through the software and we're playing, you know, Mariah Carey's All I Want from Christmas is You. And people are reading bingo cards. And she decides to dim the lights down to basically to the point where people could not see their bingo cards and walked out of the room. I let the next song go. And some people pulled their phones and started playing with their flashlights and stuff. And I, I asked her very nicely, I said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, I figured they were dancing. There's nobody on the dance floor, people. And this is what's going on. I asked her very nicely to turn the lights back up. I explained, we're not doing your typical party. And this is not a crowd that usually dances. We're working on some new content. We've got Ryan Berger from Mobile Beat coming up. We're going to talk about Mobile Beat Las Vegas coming up in a couple of weeks. And we're also going to be doing a new series as we get into 2020. And it's called Can't We All Just Get Along? It's based on a seminar that I co-hosted at Wedding MBA some years back where we talked about different things and different ways that we as industries, photographer, venue, videographer, et cetera, could all work together. And I'm putting together a pretty cool format. My first guest is going to be coming on in a few weeks. It's actually the president of my NACE chapter here in Boston. And we're going to be doing that and bringing in different elements so that we can begin to educate our industry a little bit more on the things that they see that we don't. 
and I'm hoping that this becomes a reciprocal thing that maybe we can educate them along the way because as much as we feel that our jobs are just as important as theirs, there has to be some give and take and I don't see that happening sometimes. So I think this series is going to be eye-opening. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to do and I think it's going to be very educational. So I hope you'll stick around for that as we get into 2020. I talked about Mobile Beat Las Vegas and yeah, it's on the 16th through the 19th at the Tropicana in Las Vegas, Nevada. MobileBeatLasVegas.com is where you can get your passes. You can join me. You can join Joe Bunn. You can join Mike Walter. There are a ton of people who are going to be there and sharing what they know. Keith Allen and I are going to be doing our Building Your Network series on Monday and Thursday. And then during the week, we're going to be sharing what we know about filling your weekday calendar. This is that that alone is worth the price of admission because if we can help you build your weekday calendar, you're going to have more than enough funds to come to Mobile Beat Las Vegas 2021. You know what I mean? So I hope you'll come out and join us. Anyway, today on the show, we're going to start a two-part series with Todd Mitchum. Todd was, speaking of Mobile Beat Las Vegas, he was one of the people that helped out and emceed Mobile Beat Las Vegas for a couple of years. He's been very influential in the DJ industry and helping train DJs on how to be better MCs and better performers. And we're going to be talking about disruptions and DJ training and a whole lot more in a two-part episode that starts right after the break. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Mobile DJ Business Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Rob Peters, and if you know me, you know that I have been doing bubble parties for about 14 years right now, and Mike Weeder's joining me from New Jersey, and Mike started two years ago, right, Mike? Correct. And since that time, I have watched you take what I've taught you as a bubble parties provider and take it to another level. Tell us about the success you've been having. When I met you in uh, Las Vegas last year, and you spoke to me about bubble parties, I was very skeptical. As a DJ, I've been doing this, I'm going into my 38th year, and I had no interest in dealing with preschools and children from two and a half to eight. After speaking with you and sitting through your seminar and talking to Raymar, I decided to give it a shot. Last year, our first year, we did 20 bubble parties. This year, uh, we were able to jump up to over 80 as of now. Get our free special report today where you can learn more about how this can be a great part of your DJ business. Go to bubbleparties.com, select the Become a Provider page, and get our free special report today. Hey, everybody. As you know, RPE, we do a lot of bar nights. And you know, I use speed quizzing smartphone trivia from my bar trivia nights because it is the future of bar trivia that features a friendly app that your customers are going to download. You play the hosted game and they get to submit their answers electronically. Not only have I used it for my bar nights, but I've found ways to incorporate it into other events I do, including corporate events and holiday parties. Speed quizzing events are great because there are no pens, no paper, and no cheating. Find out more about speed quizzing today at speedquizzing.com. Well, 
Well, we're back and welcome to the show this week. And my guest, he's been an author and advocate, I guess is the best word for it. Is that right, Todd? I think that's probably right. Yeah. And a whole lot more. Todd Mitchum on the show today. Todd, welcome to the program. Thank you, my friend. It is awesome to be talking to you for sure. So there thanks. is so much we could talk about. And yeah, it could be we, days. We, we could be here for a while on this one. And I'm okay with that because I learned a lot about you from your book, You Disrupted, which came out three years ago, if I recall, right? Yeah, that's about right. Yep. And I bought the audio version because Todd reads the book and that's what's pretty cool is it's almost like Todd's walking around the track with me at the gym <laughs> while I'm doing this stuff. But you learned so much. You get some uh, beginnings doing nightclub stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I started out, uh, my career was, um, you know, I wanted to be an entertainer. That's how it all started. I, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a performer. So I started out basically doing karaoke shows when I was in college and it just, I, I got so excited about being in front of an audience and, and really wanting to find ways to connect with the audience. And so that's what hooked me was, was that connection, not just being in front, but, but how they related to me, how I related to them. And basically, just like I say in the book, it's like I wanted to, and my whole life has been this, that I've always found ways to disrupt whatever space I'm working in. And so performance was my first touch of that. And it was kind of cool because, you know, you know, when you're on stage or when you're performing, you, you know, especially in your early days, you can take a lot of risks. You can do a lot of crazy things and, and you can just try and try and try and work and maneuver and, and find ways to better connect with people. And that's what I loved. And, you know, I developed a mantra pretty early on when I was a performer. I said, you know, you know, I'm here to help these people forget about how rough life can be, if only for a short period of time. So, so I've always adopted and held on to that same belief. And so it started out in bars and nightclubs and sports bars and karaoke places. And then from there, I ended up in Chicago, where I worked for um, Excalibur, which was this massive 45,000 square foot nightclub. And I walked in, uh, as the story goes in the book, I, I literally with, a, you know, a little over a thousand dollars and it was like 1200, 1300 bucks, roughly. I drove to Chicago. I had an, I had ideas. I knew I wanted to do interactive comedy. I knew I wanted to do something with music and DJs. And, um, and when I got to Chicago, I, I walked into Excalibur on a, on a Friday and fell in love with the place. I decided on Saturday, I was going there to get a job as a DJ so that I could teach them my ideas. And I was that kind of cocky about it. Like I felt like I'm going to show these people how to do this. And, uh, and I walked in and, and I'll just tell you the quick story that I said to the woman at the front, I said, Hey, I'm here to, to meet with someone to talk about my show ideas and what I want to do for this club. And I literally said it like, I'm here to make this part of the club better. And she looked at me like I had two heads on. I mean, I was 23 years old and, you know, <laughs> you know, full of <laughs> myself. And, uh, and she said, oh, she said, well, you need to talk to this guy named Tim Borden, who's a, who at the time was the entertainment director. She said, but unfortunately, Tim has left and he'll be on vacation for two weeks. And I went, oh, man, I'm going to run out of money. Like I just said to myself, I've got like after my apartment and my rent, and my deposit and groceries and the cab fare to get there, I've got like you know, three or 400 bucks left, I'm going to run out of money, you know? So, so I, I said, okay, well, can I tell you about my show? And so I started talking to her and just, 
just kind of connecting with this person and telling her about my ideas. And she stopped me in the middle of the story. I thought it was because maybe I was rambling. And, and she goes, she goes, Oh, hold on a second. She goes, there's Tim. He just walked back in. So I turn around. It turns out this guy this tells you how fate works, right? This guy forgot something on his desk and had had to come back to the club to get it. And I said, Tim, my name's Todd. Can I, can I just have like five to 10 minutes of your time really quick? I know you're leaving. He goes, yeah, what is it? And I just launched into the show. Now, by this time, I had rehearsed it with this woman, <laughs> plus <laughs> my entire five-hour drive up from St. Louis. So I, I had really been rehearsing what I wanted to say. And I just, I just spun it and sold it and talked about it as if it was already happening and just left no doubt in his mind. And he hired me on the spot. He said, I need you to go work in this other club we have for the next two weeks till I get back. And then we'll put you in the club and we'll, we'll integrate you um, into this and we'll have you do it. Well, that was in 1990, I guess, 1992 in the, in the kind of the fall of 92 by 93, we kicked off the first show of comedy. You can dance for uh, comedy. You can dance to with the bad boys of live late night. That show lasted. I left after five years. That show stayed there. And the guys who I had trained continued to do it for the next, uh, I guess, 18, 19 years. So it, it, it was well over 20-year run. It was pretty incredible. So, so, I mean, they ran it right up until the time the club closed and now became a new nightclub. So they, they did it for the entire time. Wow. So that was pretty cool. And, and, and that's how it all started. You know, talk about fate. If he hadn't come back for what he left on his desk, you, who knows what would have happened? Well, there's, yeah, there, you know, I, I've always been a believer. I'm a huge believer in the law of attraction and, and, and that we kind of make our own way and, and we have to sort of also play into fate. So we have to be ready for those moments when they happen, you know, and, and if you're sitting around doing nothing with yourself and complaining, you're not going to be ready when fate deals you something like that, the opportunity. You have to be prepared. You've got to be ready to go. And, and I was just ready. And you're right. If it hadn't been, think about everything that had to happen for him to forget something, to leave, to come back, and then listening to my inner voice or whatever you call it, telling me, hey, man, you should stay and talk to this woman about the show. Because I could have just left. You know, there were so many pieces happening at the same time that had to happen the way they happened or it wouldn't have worked. So it was just um, kind of a faded, a faded moment, and and I seized it with everything I had. It was pretty fun, for sure. That's how it all began. You took a lot of that stuff and brought it into the mobile DJ world because that's yeah. where I first met you. Is I sat in this seminar, and the one thing I remember pulling from that seminar the most is to talk to your audience and not at them. Yeah. That's and right. I remember I bought your DVD and shook your hand and I thought it was, it was, I honestly, I thought it was, I walked out of there with that one nugget. And I'm like, wow, I'm doing everything wrong. And this guy's got it right down on the money. And uh, you took a lot of that into the DJ industry and did that for a while. Yeah. And now you, then you took a turn and went and did some bigger stuff. Talk about that. Yeah, so I did a couple things. I, I mean, it's really intuitive that, or a uh, really good memory that you remember that. I, it's always been my belief in business, whether it's performing on stage or, or in sales or whatever I did in my life, that I accomplish more if I just connect with you as a person. You know, if I don't try to put on a show, so to speak, it's that extra polish people put on things versus just being real and professional and and, and really present with people, you know, and, and I say this all the time in my workshops for DJs is 
look, you got to be present with the audience. You got to be conversational. You have to be one-on-one with them. You know, you've got to talk to every audience member as if you're talking to them, not to the room. That's the mistake people make. And so, so yeah, I did that. I, I did. I went from Chicago to Universal, where we kicked off the Bad Boys show at Universal Studios and did that for a number of years. And then eventually, I, I, I did. I, in 2001, I got into the DJ training space, so to speak, because I wanted to do more. I wanted to go and speak more, and I was kind of bitten by that bug. So I developed uh, courses for DJs that were all about the way I had performed in Chicago and, and Florida and all this and Universal. And I was like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach guys how to do this because I've done it. It works. And you're talking about audiences that were, you know, a 500-person event is pretty awesome. But when you can do the same things consistently at a 50-person event, a 500-person event, a 5,000-person event, and a 15,000-person event, and you're getting the same results because you're consistent, then there's a method to that that's working. So I dissected it. I basically worked backwards. I said, you know, what is it about when I go do these things? Why does it work? You know, and I, I took, I had to take my own ego out of it. It wasn't about my, you know, gifts or talents. That was part of it, but that was more of just my energy. I was learning skills that I needed to teach others about. So that's what I did. And then I went from the DJ world over to the business world. I tapped into uh, basically learning and development. I, I started speaking and delivering training and development for leaders and for big companies. And I, I worked with a, an organization out of Canada. I did that for the better part of 10 years while still also doing DJ trainings and things. So I was doing both. But now I was integrating business acumen. And I really disrupted that space too. I, I brought a lot of my DJ mindset and performance mindset into that industry and did a lot of really cool things. So yeah, so I just constantly was reinventing, I guess, throughout my whole life. And it really kept it interesting and fun. It was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty cool journey. And then obviously, I left that in 2013 and got in the cannabis space for about six years, seven so cannabis, years. Cannabis space has a real special, it's got a real connection with you. And you talk about it in the book. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people thought I got into when I in 2000, I guess it was 12 and 13, I started exploring that space. And a lot of people thought I was doing it for the money that it was just about, you know, this was the green rush and and legalization was going to happen in Colorado. And that, you know, oh, Todd's doing this because it's going to be, you know, he's going to try to make a buck off of it and, and all that. And, and while I certainly wanted to prosper financially, I mean, I would be a fool if I didn't. Right. Um, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the, the catalyst that put me into the space. I would have kept doing what I was doing if it hadn't been for earlier around 2008. Uh, my mother had gone through a second cancer and this one was terminal. She's, and this is in the book, this whole story, but, but she said, you know, she said, I've got about six months left. And, and I was there when the doctor was in the room and she's telling us and he's telling us. And it was just this experience like, you know, it's over, you know, that I'm, my mother is done and, and that's it. And we, we need to start, you know, saying goodbye. And it was, a, I mean, it's, I, for anyone who's gone through it, you know how terrifying that is and, right. and how horrible it feels. But I uh, went back to Colorado and, and she was, um, she was dead set that she was not going to do chemo. She had had, she had had cancer before she beat breast cancer. And she said, this time I'm not doing chemo. I'm not doing radiation. I just refuse because it's just going to shorten my life. I'm, I'm going to end up dead anyway. So why do that? I, I want to be as comfortable as I can be. So 
she for she decided not to do that. But what she did was she decided she was going to grow, uh, cultivate, and then make into brownies or muffins her own cannabis. Now, I tell this story a lot on stage when I do keynote, and it's funny because I go, look, th- that sounds interesting, but if you knew my mother, if I were 16 years old and had weed in my house, I would have been living on the street. I mean, that, she would have thrown me out disowned me. I mean, this was just a taboo thing. So for her to do that was pretty rebellious. You know, it was pretty, uh, hey, what do I got to lose kind of a mindset. So she really sort of disrupted herself. That motivated me a little, but it wasn't, still wasn't the moment. The moment came when, when about six months after she had been diagnosed, she was not dead yet. And she had gone through, um, she'd gone through her first, you know, she had harvested some cannabis. She had made it into these muffins, which was like a grandmother's recipe that she had of mine. And so she was basically eating a muffin every night filled with weed and going to sleep. And she, she got this call one day that her doctor had been in a terrible car accident and died. And it was six months to the day she had been diagnosed. And, and she was still alive. In fact, she was getting better. And wow. it was really freaking her out. So she called me and, you know, I had been going through some tough times and she goes, Hey, you know, no one gets to tell you when you're done, but you. And I was like, okay. So I, I, that really motivated me. Mm -hmm. And, and a few years later, uh, or yeah, about three years later, Colorado Pat starts working on amendment 64. I got really active in it, really wanted to be a part of it. And the reason I wanted to be a part of it was because I wanted to create a standards level and a process in the system of cannabis industry of the cannabis industry that people like my mother could get access to really good products. So I really wanted, that was my original goal was to help elevate the industry because it was largely kind of renegades and outlaws, you know, it was a lot of illegal behavior. And, and so I, and I didn't anticipate any of that. When I got into it, I just went feet first and and, you know, I ran into a lot of nefarious people and characters and, you know, kind of kind of learned the hard way that it was uh, still a pretty dark industry and needed to grow. It's changed a lot in the last seven years, but it was certainly odd. And, but the reason was my mother. That was, I, she motivated that entire decision. I would have never done it had she not gone through and beat that cancer. By the way, that cancer is in remission and she's still alive. So, right. so crazy, right? I mean, That's you know, it, I know it's anecdotal, but wow. That's on. That's incredible. That's yeah. such an incredible story, and it's great that you took something that was that close to you, because a lot of people would would look at that and go, "Okay, this is Todd." And, and you know what was really nice is you shared that in the book, and and I think yeah. that's what drew, at least from my perspective, me in a little bit more to, was to find out because it did disrupt everything else you were working on when you decided everything. to make that leap. Yeah, it changed everything. I mean, the joining the cannabis industry, again, like I said, I was I was both feet in with my eyes shut. <laughs> you know, it's like I I just thought I it was a mission, you know, it was kind of like um I've gotta I've gotta do this. It's like a calling, you know, I, I had no choice in my mind. But what I did not think through were so many pitfalls and challenges that I just did not consider. The first one being you know, I was working in the corporate world uh, doing these presentations and speaking and training and development. I didn't realize how quickly rejected I would be in that world. How quickly that people who were friends of mine and colleagues would just turn. They would go, I can't 
talk to you. I mean, I, I had a, one of my really good clients at Anheuser-Busch that just refused to speak to me. He said, I can't even take a call with you anymore. I can't, I'm just disgusted that you're in this industry. And I was so angry. Uh, you know, I, I, I had a time where I, where I was so mad about this, that people were rejecting me because I was in the marijuana industry that I, I said to this guy on the phone, I remember the last thing I ever said to him, and I've never talked to him since, is I said, well, at least what I do doesn't kill 40,000 people a year. Have a great life. And I just hung up the phone, you know. But, but that's just me lashing out. But, at the, but the point was, I did not anticipate any of that. It was a real scarlet letter um, for a while. You know, people who I was friends with just wouldn't talk to me anymore. It was so bizarre because I was there with good intentions, but they didn't see it that way because I was in the media and I was, I was talking about the growth of the company that I was a part of. You know, I just, they saw it as greed and, and they weren't willing to listen to what it was really about. And I'm not mad at them now. I just, it was a bizarre, and, and it's changed so much. Look at how fast it's changed, you know, over seven years, six years. Look at where we are now where everybody talks about it and people are trying it. And, you know, it's like, the stigma is all but erased, but it was, uh, it was rough at the beginning, that's for sure. So, folks, we're going to continue this episode next week and give you the second part of our interview with Todd Mitchum. So, tune back in next week. We'll release it next Tuesday right here on the Mobile DJ Business Podcast. Till next time, I'm Rob Peters. You've been listening to the Mobile DJ Business Podcast. Give us your ideas for future guests, questions, or topics, or just stay informed about upcoming episodes on our Facebook page or visit www.mobiledjpodcast.biz. The Mobile DJ Business Podcast is a production of Rob Peters Entertainment, all rights reserved.